Hey folks, welcome back to another special DC3 cast episode. You're getting a lot of DC3 cast this week, folks. So, uh, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> I'm Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are going to talk about Doomsday Clock number one. Just released at 11.57pm last night. And um, for those that don't know, this is a sequel of sorts to Watchmen. This is written by Jeff Johns and illustrated by Gary Frank. And um, before we get into the, the nitty gritty, and we are going to go through the issue more or less chronologically with you guys. Uh, overall, Zach, we're going to start with you. What did you think of this issue? Overall, if I'm being perfectly honest. 10 out of 10. Costumes look great. The costumes are fantastic. I mean, come on. Dave Gibbons didn't even do it this good. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't hate this. Um, we'll get more into it for sure. The only thing that I really flat out didn't like was the Rorschach speak. And I don't even like Rorschach speak in regular Watchmen. So... Mm. Um, yeah, this was, uh, not the train wreck that I, on my scale of train wrecks, this isn't that bad. Okay, Vince, what'd you think? All right. I, I didn't hate it in the way that I hated, uh, Justice League when we were talking the (laughs) other night. So I'm not going to be screaming into this microphone for an hour and a half. Sure. Um, but I certainly didn't like or enjoy ninety percent of it, <laughs> and that seems like a that seems like like saying I hate it. Like that that's that's not praise at all, right? But um, first of all, that ten percent sliver that I really liked, I really really liked, and um, and 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 it's enough to actually keep me invested in this. But uh, for reasons we'll get into the other 90% of the comic just didn't do anything for me. And the less we get of that would be better for me. Um, So I, I don't hate it with a seething passion. I just couldn't believe how, uh, how little this first issue was compared to what I said I wanted when this whole thing kicked off with uh, with DC Rebirth number one. So that's where I stand. I'm just, I'm just disappointed on that front. Um, it's a quality... I think it's a quality comic. It's a well-considered comic. If you take away the, the moral aspect of, you know, Alan Moore's history and all that stuff. And, of course, it was always going to look... Like, people are saying, well, it looks really great. It was always going to look great. Um... Gary Frank was obviously the right choice. Uh, very meticulously done, and 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 I suppose that's worth praising. But um, you know, on the whole, the focus of it was a disappointment to me. Brian, what do you think? Um, as usual, I fall between you guys <laughs> uh, as sort of my my place in this show. I, I'm the, the lucky Pierre of the podcast. Um, I. Uh, 
I really didn't like the first bit of the of the comic. Um, I agree with Zach that the that Rorschach speak has a shelf life, even in Watchmen itself, and this certainly pushed it into uh, an area I don't really care for. I will also echo Vince in saying that the last three pages or so, whatever that we get, whatever that the Superman story encapsulates, three five pages, whatever that is. I, I loved, and I think that that is a really interesting, really fun thing. I can't wait to dig into that deeply with you guys. I will say that the stuff in Night Owl's uh, lab, underground hideout, whatever we're calling it, I think that some of that stuff landed for me, but while the, while the comic does look good, while Gary Frank is obviously super talented, I don't think he's the guy I want doing this book. Oh, interesting. uh, And that's kind of... And and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Not that it doesn't look good. It certainly does. I just think that... My overall thought with this is, even with the Superman stuff, I am shocked at how, so far... And and we we really should should preface this by saying, this is... We are not writing off the... At least least I am not writing off the event yet. This is one issue. this This is sort of... I think this is going to be the bridge between Watchmen and what Doomsday Clock is ultimately going to be. Um, but oh, I hope so. I hope so too. But you know, but just for this issue, I am shocked at how this is Johns and Frank completely subjugating their skills and talents to just try and be more in Gibbons, and that's what bothered me more than anything else about this book. Is that every little detail? From the issue ending with a quote in a in a skinny panel with a clock underneath it, even if the clock now has a Superman logo, it's still like everything about this book is just trying to be a sequel to Watchmen. Whereas when I the parts of this of this of the of the hype of this book that got me excited were the parts that seemed like it was something new. And even though I still think it was a bad idea to do it, I think it's better to do something new with the Watchmen characters than to try and continue the Watchmen story. And that's where my problem lies. I can definitely get behind that. I think I act, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Yeah, I I think I think we'll all it sounds like we'll all be in agreement on that. Um and and the Rorschach thing too, which we'll get into. I, I think we'll all find some agreement on that as well. Um Yeah, another thing you know, following the Watchmen aesthetic is that they also try to do some back matter stuff. But boy is it just like really superficial. Did did that add anything to you know, we were talking when we did our Watchmen reread. You 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 brought up how uh, the back matter sort of fills in some of the stuff that the comic doesn't tell us. You know, yeah. I feel like the back matter here was just an excuse to mimic what Watchmen tried to do originally. I felt like it added nothing. I'll agree with that, especially yeah. like the menu. The menu of like pan of breakfast foods at this Joe's pancake, whatever the hell. Morning Joe's. It is operated Morning. by Joe Scarborough. 
after his <laughs> he he is the next domino to fall in the uh in the male uh news personalities being inappropriate he's going to get back on his feet by opening morning joe's uh breakfast the best breakfast in the city served from 5 to 11 a.m. wait a minute i think i figured something out you know how um dan and lori took on uh alter egos at the end of watchmen yes I think they probably changed their names again, and they're Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. <laughs> uh, I I am now looking to see what his first name was. <laughs> was it Joe? Would that I don't be know. that would be the dumbest possible twist if it turned out that Morning Joe was Night Owl? <laughs> oh, Edie. Um, okay, <laughs> so. So do we want to – is there anything more we want to say, the overall feelings on this? I think we've said our piece about, um, you know, how we felt about the project itself going into it. Now it's here, you guys. Like, it's here in front of us. We've read it multiple times. And uh, are we ready to just sort of go through it chronologically? Uh, sure. Unless Zach is yeah. wants to say. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. Okay, so let's talk about this opening, where essentially for the first... By the way, Sam is his name, it's not Joe. This is not... Okay. Just put that out there. Damn. I know. That would be great Um, if you just jokingly guessed the twist at the end. (laughs) That would be a really weird twist. Like, who would care about that? Oh, nobody, but it would be funny. So anyway. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So the first six pages of this comic essentially brings you back into the world of Watchmen several years later. Um, and this is what and, we got in the New York comic Con Ashcan. Yes. This is essentially the Ashcan, which we've already spoken about, but now, so, so basically what it does is it explains, um, that the, the, that um, the country is kind of in, per- in peril. The world, really, the world is in peril after this, um, quote unquote attack that uh, Adrian Veidt had uh, perpetrated. And um, we see people rioting, kind of. It very much feels like the the end of the world. You know, basically Veidt's plan ended up not working. Um, <laughs> and uh, we see all these media, um, uh, you know, television, news, shut down, state-run media, uh from the White House has launched, and that's basically all anyone's getting. And so it's very tumultuous times. But as we already said, we got all this and talked about it in the ash can. So what I'm interested in knowing is, did any of this stuff from the beginning until about when uh, when we see Rorschach pick up the keys, did any of that feel any better to you guys now that we've got the final product in our hands? Um, yes and no. Like, on one hand, I think I was even more bothered by just, like, how bad the Rorschach monologue is, just, like, how ham-fisted and, and over-the-top and just kind of, like, like nauseatingly bad it's it <laughs> um, is essentially is. info rorschach yeah it really like, is it's not a joke it's info it's, rorschach. it's real re- yeah yeah but but conversely like the other stuff um 
you know, just kind of like this new status quo. Um, I know we talked a lot about, um, you know, when we were doing our Watchmen read through of the merits, if any, of, of kind of exploring what happens next in this story. Um, and um, I actually like kind of like exploring this aftermath, like this, this turn of events that happened. Um, I, I actually, I mean, I kind of, I kind of liked seeing it, but that's Mm -hmm. just me. So I think I, can I, before Brian, before you answer, can I kind of speak to what Zach just said? Sure. So Zach, you just said that you, you like seeing sort of John's thesis on what happens beyond the last page of the original Watchmen, right? Yeah. And here's, here's my opinion on it. I think he actually, I think, you know, given, given the way that the world is right now and the way that America feels right now, and, and given that that's what John's is, says that he's speaking to, I think his choice for where things went after the last page of Watchmen is totally appropriate. Bad, bad monologuing and writing aside, um, I think the actual plot points are sound and I can see the world turning out this way, you know? So I don't have any qualms with that. I Mm -hmm. still just, I still just have qualms with the idea that they're picking up Moore's thing and they are telling you, this is what happens. Like the concept alone is what bothers me. Not anything that ended up happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. does. And again, like, I think I'm I'm less bothered by it because as I kind of said in the the last episode, um, it it feels like fan fiction to me. Like this isn't any kind of canonical ending in my mind. You know, this is yeah. a this is a what if story essentially to me. And sure, in in that regard, like I appreciate that you know it can kind of explore these ideas in the you know the idea of the watchman universe i guess i, I guess i'd i'd be able to swallow that pill a little bit better if it weren't dc's most celebrated writer and one of their most celebrated artists mm-hmm. getting paid to make a big event out of this you know yeah. i mean it is it, it is fa- it feels like fan fiction on the one sense but on the other sense then i i, I just keep coming back to well they're trying to make a ton of money off of this. Yeah. So, right. yeah. and, you I mean, know, they're, they're a corporation that's to be expected, but, um, it all, just can't sit well with me. All, all comics are fan fiction. <laughs> yep. All, all cave comics, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, like, I don't, it's, um, this isn't a one for one comparison because there's a lot of different emotions and feelings in this. Um, but you know what this kind of reminds me of before Watchmen conceptually. No, not before Watchmen. Um, um after actually this kind of reminds me of the force awakens. Mm. Huh? I can hear Alice W. Castle throwing her phone against the wall. <laughs> I can, you know, I mean, but but like, think about it. I mean, you have this property that was the, um, you know, uh, the vision primarily of um, a a particular creator, 
and and his circle of co-creators, collaborators um, that was believed to be untouchable at one time. And now in a new generation, we have other people who are handling that and elaborating and, um, you know, hypothesizing futures without the, you know, express um, involvement of the original creator. I, I will only buy this analogy if in this universe, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons did before Watchmen. Well, and and fine. it was and it was as bad as regular as as, as yeah. the as the prequels. <laughs> yeah. no, because that, that that that's what I was gonna say. Like to me, yeah. the Force Awakens is is uh, that's why it's not a one to one, right? Um, right. Because that's why it's not a one to one. Yeah, it was celebrated because it was correcting the mistakes of said creator. Whereas right. I don't think Watchmen has it, but but that, that no, is but that is an interesting. I, yeah, assessment. I mean it more. I mean it more in the sense of um, this. This kind of um, this continuation beyond the, uh, I guess, like the canon of the text outside of yeah. the original creator's oversight. Yeah, uh, this um, will again be the second week in a row that I bring up Sherlock Holmes. But there's uh, there are a number of Holmes books that were written after Conan Doyle's death, uh, including one that this reasonably well regarded called The Seven Percent Solution, which is really about uh, Holmes's heroin addiction. Which was certainly hinted at in all of the Conan Doyle books, but really becomes the focal point. And that was actually something I thought about how, in after Conan Doyle's death, the the heroin use of Holmes became far more pronounced, and that sort of seemed like um, people wanting people focusing on, on to me what the wrong part of the Sherlock Holmes story is, mm. and I feel like this sort of focuses on the wrong part of what the. Uh, the Watchmen story is. They had yeah, to get grim yeah. and gritty Sherlock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure if we like sat and like really thought about it, we could come up with tons of examples of of properties that lived beyond their original creator. And I'm not even talking about like, of course, within comic books, we can find like mil- thousands of of examples. But I think like in you know the greater world of of media we could find lots of examples where um subsequent takes on things um accentuated and highlighted things that were um way outside of what the original creators were going for um for better or worse so and 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 in no way am i trying to say that like 30 years from now doomsday clock is going to be looked at and and in like the same light as Watchmen or as like a, a valid, like on the same level, you know, I'm not saying that. I mean, who knows it? It might be because who knows what people think, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but in, in, in that same regard, like I, I think in light of those things, I'm able to look at it for what it is being mad and, and not, um, I, I don't know. I think also, like, I just have to, um, this has probably come out in some of my statements, um, but I, I sometimes maybe don't think I hold Watchmen up to the same, like, 
pedestal as as the majority do. Like I understand its importance and its relevance, but I I I like really have a lot of problems with kind of um venerating or like making golden calves out of some out of comics, you know, out of stories, some comic stories because I I don't know. I just like it I don't there are very few stories that I would think that highly of um just in general not because I don't think they're good just because I think that's just like the nature of the medium to be like continued and built upon and to I I, I don't know I I've just never been one to um sort of worship any particular book no matter how um singular or revolutionary it is I mean I I certainly agree with that in uh, in theory and I think that there's a lot of, of validity to that statement. Um, anyway, let, 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 let's move on. Let me just quickly say, the one thing that read better the second time through, uh, only read better after finishing the whole issue, which was that we get this shot on the, uh, I guess it's the one, two, the fifth page, where it looks like um, we see an x-ray and there's a tumor or something on somebody's head. And mm-hmm. then that uh, it turns out, spoiler alert, that that's that's Veidt's head that Ozymandias has has cancer of some sort, and so incorporating that into the other imagery, into the news, all of that. I think that that was a, a clever bit of of artistry there. That's literally the only thing from the Ashcan that I thought was improved upon reading it in this context. Yeah. Um, okay, so then moving on, we've got uh, Rorschach making his way through this prison. And um, meanwhile, you know, essentially they're turning the keys to launch off a nuke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of intercut with, with Rorschach uh, going to break out um, a man and a woman from prison it's uh, what the the marionette and the mime, mm-hmm. essentially they're Punch and Julie analogs from to you know from regular DC continuity, um, which I think is interesting. Um, were those Charlton characters or were they? Oh, I or are don't they know. just DC? Yeah, that is that is interesting. Let me check that really quick. It's weird because on its face it just feels like Johns is just trying to be too clever here mm-hmm. <laughs> like these those original characters were used by you know the the they, the they were they were they were okay yeah so that's get, definitely what he's doing here 100 yeah. percent. sure okay so that that makes sense to me that's i think that's good then that's fine um i think it's a little different because more was kind of forced into using analogs of right. these characters whereas uh you know, John, John's isn't forced into doing that, but it's it fits with the it fits with Watchmen, so I, I think that's fine. Uh, the marionette is clearly Winona Ryder. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know who the mime is, but uh, but that's Winona if I've ever seen her. It's Winona in Stranger Things. In Stranger Things, exactly. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, totally. Um, so anyway, um, this is where the Rorschach dialogue because we get on, on his way to. Uh, break them out. We get some more narration, and this is where uh, it really gets to be too much for me. 
And I think it highlights... First of all, I think it does tip its hand that this is a different Rorschach. See, I... Mm, explain to me why you think that, because I, I have, like, a different take on this dialogue that, like, goes a long way. Like, this is... Um, this goes a long way towards uh, negatively affecting my suspension of disbelief with this book. Like, this is one of the bones I have to pick with it. I think I have a similar bone to pick, Zach, so I'm interested to hear Vince uh, squirm his way out of this one. Wait, what, what do you what do you mean? You you think... Well, okay, so, well, so, just, um like, not when he's monologuing, but when he's talking to people, he uses that same... Um, like shortened, abridged uh, way of speaking that uh-huh. Rorschach uses. And if this is a different Rorschach, I can't think of any reason why he would talk this way. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with that. Like, I, I'll, I'll take it a I'm step talking, further. I'm, sure, okay. What I was going to say was I, I feel like there's no way, not only that he should talk that way, there's no way he could know to talk that way. Exactly, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like he he doesn't know that this is what Rorschach sounds like, unless I, no, I can't. There's no reason he should know that. No. So so and, unless like people have been studying that journal so much that it's like a you know sacred text of NeoGaf or something or like 4chan, <laughs> you know, and like people just like <laughs> ape it all the time. That's like, the only like explanation. Um. Um, so, so, so I'm glad that you guys explained it because you and I, we're talking about two different things. You guys are talking about the literal way he presents himself and speaks. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the philosophical, uh, I'm talking about Rorschach's personality and his viewpoint and seeing these pages and it, uh, knowing that this is not the same Rorschach, it makes sense that I don't like it. But it makes sense when if Jeff Johns was saying Rorschach has an apolitical outlook, if he's talking about his Rorschach that he's writing in Doomsday Clock, then I think he's right. But I think that undermines the character of Rorschach because in this several times in this comic, and it begins here in the beginning, you're seeing Rorschach do things that the real Rorschach would... The real Rorschach was a monster. The original Rorschach was a monster. Remember that we reread Watchmen, and we were taken... All three of us, I think, were taken aback by... We didn't remember how awful he truly was. Like, some of the stuff that he would say or write in his journal, you know, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. really harsh. And if you look at this character, there are times where he's almost trying to be that, and then he betrays it. So, like... The fact um, that he puts up with the marionette's bullshit at all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and and he's actually... Johns is setting this Rorschach up to be the hero in this... Like, a a, a uh, undeniable hero. Whereas the original Rorschach never was. And that's what people mistook him for. And so I think the problem that I have, beyond his dialogue and his narration just not really being well-written and and me kind of tiring of it. I think Johns is, rather than trying to face who Rorschach is and what people mistake about him, he's making a new Rorschach that is actually more of a hero. 
And I don't think I like that because it's trying to erase a problem that existed by making it not a problem anymore instead of actually facing it. Does that make sense? Am I reading way too much into this? No, I no, I don't I don't think so. I, I I don't know if Johns would consider the original Rorschach a problem. I think he's. I think he has said. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he said something about. No, maybe, maybe not specifically about Rorschach. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I mean, like, forgive me. Find a quote. I, I may be off, but I I do kind of get the impression that Johns. I mean, Johns has spoken sort of negatively about the the negative effects that superhero deconstruction had on the genre, right? Yes. Even though he himself is a product of that. Right. Um, which I feel like probably strikes people as disingenuous a lot of times, considering like how many people, how many like arms he's ripped off in <laughs> comics. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but... Yeah, I can't pick out like any one specific quote, but I feel like that's um I've definitely gotten that impression over the years. Sure. Now, um <clears throat> here is the beginning of my I don't want to say issue with Gary Frank, but um so we're we're looking we're we're moving along here. The, the mime has now been broken out by Rorschach and Marionette. And they go to retrieve his weapons. And mm-hmm. I understand why this scene was put in there. This is this is another clear example of this not being your grandma's Rorschach. Right? Like, <laughs> Rorschach would have never stood for this in the original Watchmen. So, so again, we're, we're elevating that. And I thought that Gary Frank did a nice job with this sequence. But I will say that as I read this sequence, I just thought, oh, man, Dave Gibbons would have done this so much better. <laughs> this particular sequence, I felt like, oh, man, this is, no matter how good Frank does this, he's never going to get the same depth and level of of true understanding and true visual just mastery here. Like, you know, so mime goes into this locker to get his quote weapons and there's nothing there. He's just miming that he's getting stuff. Right. And while it's clear that he's re- like, you know, you see that the locker is empty and then he reaches in to get something and there's nothing there. All that It's all very clear, but it just seems to me like this is the Cliff's notes version of how Gibbons would have done this scene. <laughs> and that is sort of my big takeaway from this book in general is just that instead of letting Gary Frank do what Gary Frank does well, they have just tried to get him to do what Dave Gibbons would have done, but he's not Dave Gibbons. And so it doesn't look that good. It doesn't work the same way. Look that good is the wrong way to put it. Give, uh, Frank is an excellent artist. It doesn't work the same way it does when, when Gibbons is the one doing it because they're just different artists. Yeah, and to me, this is the scene that was the most clear about that. I, I would also argue that this is where you know we had a discussion with Greg Matasevich the other night about the ending of Watchmen and Watchmen as a superhero versus a sci-fi story. Uh-huh. I I also feel like this scene wouldn't have even been in the original Watchmen or anything like it because this is John's taking a page to display a very weird thing about a. Uh, it's a quirk. 
yes, it's a quirk. And and Rorschach even punctuates it at the end by saying, you have big problems after he puts on the, this uh, invisible utility belt, right? Yeah. Right. And Which feel- this feels like a very Jeff Johns thing. This Absolutely. is John. This, yes. is, this is a rogue, you know? Yeah, this is absolutely. a splash rogue. Oh, that's a nice yeah. pull. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this is not this is not more because I feel like more is not interested in the ways that superheroes are weird about being superheroes. He's interested in the ways that superheroes are weird about being humans. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is a subtle difference there. Yeah. That yeah. No, definitely yeah. for sure. Yeah, and this is so this is John. So I guess what I'm saying is, if this were less of a Watchmen sequel and more of a Watchmen inspired something, I'd actually like this scene a lot more. But because it's a direct Watchmen sequel, it feels out of place. Then I look at this scene and I think, well, this is you know, more would have never done this. This is Jeff Johns, and I can't. Maybe that's a me problem that I can't reconcile uh, between Johns and Frank trying to ape them or trying to do their own version of a slightly similar thing. But isn't this but be- pretty much the only scene in the book that feels really Johnsian? No, um, I think the last part is all really Johnsian. Leave that aside. I mean, leave the super okay. stuff aside. I, of the Watchmen stuff. Doesn't this seem to stray the furthest from the more idea? I think you're right. I um. I also maybe I would I would maybe say some of the Ozymandias stuff, but it's more tenuous. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Zach because uh, even though I think it's more subtle, the Ozymandias stuff, it's John's is much more about plot in this than he is about theme. There's not much under the surface here. You know, John's is telling us that he's writing a comic for the year 2017. And honestly, apart from that opening scene being like chaos and protest and using terms like deplorables and things like that. I think it's, I think it's actually undeplorable. It is on, it is. Is it the, (laughs) it's undeplorables, which is, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what he's doing there, but, uh, but, but, I feel like John's is much more interested in moving the plot forward. He's not interested in exploring subtext the way that more is. So some of that, right. uh, some of that Vite stuff is very much just plot happening. And there's nothing, there's nothing kind of going on under the surface, you know, except for a big old tumor. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's, let's move on to them actually breaking out of the prison and walking through the uh, the New York City underground, and uh, you know we get a little bit more of, of Rorschach here, being a little bit different than than the Rorschach that we remember. Just the idea of him saying something like "Don't point an imaginary gun at me." I yeah. can't imagine the original Rorschach ha- giving two shits about that at all. Right. Um. And this Rorschach, I mean, I, I, this sounds like so cliche and shitty, but uh, I feel like this Rorschach just instantly cares way more. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. We missed a huge part of this. We didn't talk about the tease of who this Rorschach is. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so when, oh, when Rorschach yeah. reveals himself to not be the original Rorschach to Marionette, he does so by pulling off a glove. 
and the glove reveals that he is a person of color. Um, Vince, you joked about who you thought the new Rorschach was. Why don't you go through for our listeners and say who that was? Uh, so I I said it was going to be the kid at the newsstand that was um, Bernard. Yes, I can never remember the name, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the kid at the newsstand reading the reading the comics, right? And um, it it would seem that that's who this is. That would be quintessential Johns. <laughs> yeah. But the only other, or one of the other major uh, people of color mm-hmm. in the book is the psychiatrist in prison. Yeah. Um, who initially, you know, despises Rorschach, but it becomes to have some sort of under empathy for him and all that. Um, uh, but I feel like there's just no he, way that, 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 I don't know. To me, Vince right. nailed it perfectly. It's, it's well, the, the only issue I have with either of those, and actually I like the psychiatrist idea a lot because then that would actually sp- explain how he knows why he has like some insight into like the weird pathos of Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Um, but shouldn't both of those characters be dead? <laughs> um, yeah, I only half they, of they were at the, blown up. <laughs> they were at the like explosion point though. Like they were at, at the like street corner. At least I know the psychiatrist guy was, I, I don't. Maybe the kid had left. But wouldn't that make it like even more reason for one of them, like having lived through that? I, like, but I mean, I don't. That's how could they have like lived through it? I guess is what I'm saying. Because comics. I. I mean, that's the thing, and the only thing about the psychiatrist thing that bothers me is wasn't he like a husky older yeah, exactly. man? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like oh, physically, yeah, it makes no but, sense. Yeah. He could, he could, he could definitely, you know, he crossfit he, it. his wife, his wife left him, you know, yeah. he had nothing to do except like stew and, and work out. P90X. Well, we, we all know Rorschach would turn out to be a men's rights activist and a father's rights activist. So <laughs> yes, that is for sure. Do you guys have any, I, I'll ask that question later. We're skipping ahead. So, um, so they, they they go through the tunnels beneath New York. They wind up in the basement of Night Owl's home, and it reveals that Rorschach is working with slash for Ozymandias. Um, I know I had said that Folks, I thought it's with you, never for. <laughs> uh, I I had uh, I had hypothesized that perhaps. The new Rorschach was Ozymandias, so obviously I was wrong. But you know they're working together, so I wasn't that wrong. Um, now here is where I have my biggest beef with Gary Frank as, in terms of what he actually does here. I feel like one of the great things about Gibbons' artwork is with Ozymandias in particular, he's never presented as being like the buffest most superhero looking hero when he's just like doing his normal life right like that's kind of kind of why i think people were so shocked when he turns out to be the killers because he doesn't look like this muscle bound strongman who could pick up blake and throw him out the window right that's all supposed to be like a, a surprising element here and i think that there's just way too much like 
typical superhero bod and he's just he's drawn and presented as your sort of classic square jawed good looking comic book hero right i well i think part of that is just like that's more frank's style and right. and none of gibbon's characters looked particularly um they were all a little rounder yeah you know everyone was um more every man you know yeah, yeah. um so what do you guys think about Vite in this issue? Um I thought it was fine. I thought I thought the voice for Vite was fine. Um I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't really know. This this is kind of where the book See, you guys you guys said you kind of liked this more than the beginning, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I sort of expected expected to but then the more i sat with this scene the more i kind of thought well this to me this is really starting to undermine the original (laughs) the original work because um the 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 great catharsis of the original watchman is that vites vite succeeds in the end and that's a huge moment and while i think john's choices here are appropriate Part of the reason why I'm bothered with seeing them is that I, I guess I'm not interested in seeing a Vite that finds out his plan didn't work. You know, what does he do now? I, I'm not I'm not interested in that question. You know, um, this feel this is the, where it started to feel like it's tacking onto a legacy that that I didn't want to see happen so specifically. You know. We'll we'll talk about that a little more when we get to the Superman stuff, but like, that's where this sticks in my craw. Like, I guess I don't want to know what Vite's doing after his plan is executed. You know, that was supposed to be the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the great parts of Watchmen is that you that you realize along with the main characters that Vite's plan is horrible but it works and you're supposed to leave that book with the knowledge that this horrible thing happened but it's what's going to save the world and Mm -hmm. it's so horrible that dr manhattan kills rorschach just in case he told anybody and then lies about it to laurie and and dan and says like oh you know i doubt he'll get far enough or whatever like you know, it's so bad that Dr. Manhattan, the person who doesn't lie about anything, has to construct a false story around it. Because it's yeah. just, it's this it's this horrible, horrible event, but it's one that will save the world. So saying it didn't save the world is sort of taking all the bite out of that issue. Yeah, I mean, I right. that's, that's what I struggle with, because I, on the one hand... If Johns is writing a story for today, that feels very appropriate. On the other hand, it's not something that it's something that messes with the original narrative in a way that I although, really hope that although, this wouldn't. Well, yeah. Although I, I do have to say, like the seeds of doubt were there, um, 
Sure, but he, that's, that was part yeah. that was part of the original story. Um, you know, we are left with the the journal being found. Right. Um, so that, that those seeds of doubt are inherently part of the original story too. Um, do I think it needed to be expounded upon or? Um, no, I think that that ambiguity is like very much part of for sure what the original story was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also yeah. fun like, rereading Watchmen uh, recently. I feel like I feel the ending is more ambiguous than I had ever thought before because you know you you see the ending like oh wow somebody you know, a journalist has Rorschach's journal that's going to reveal everything. But rereading it, you realize how that newspaper is is a laughing stock. Nobody nobody takes it seriously. So it's almost like if the Weekly World News got or the National Enquirer got Rorschach's journal, right? Like people, or maybe are, you know, like if Breitbart got it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, like it just it's sort of there is that ambiguity. Like, even if the, even if this gets out there, who can believe this? Yeah, right. And th- so that 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 ambiguity really does. It really does play an important part in the end of that story. And I feel like so far, and again, this is very early, Doomsday Clock is removing all ambiguity from Watchmen. It's answering, yeah. it, it, it's dotting every I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't take it to be, uh, I wish I could take it to be fan fiction because, because I'm, I'm glad you're able to do that, Zach. Um, but yeah, for me, I just, on some level, I can't. Um, and I know Greg said that he was going to take it that way too. And I think that's great if you can. Um, I don't think it's a value judgment one way or another. Uh, if you're able to do that, I just can't shake it. It's a, it's me. (laughs) I just can't do it. It me Vince. It me. (laughs) I, for one, welcome our, uh, our net non-neutrality future Breitbart 100% all the time news state run media. (laughs) It's going to be great. Oh, um, can one one thing before we move on to the good part of the issue? Um, this bit at the end where Vite is like, he mentions Doctor Manhattan and he says that that's our mission. All of us, we need to find John. Mm-hmm. To me, that's again, that's another thing where like, come on, you can't do a Watchmen. Uh, we're on a mission from God. We got to get the band back together. Story like John's story in Watchmen ended as well. He went to create new life, perhaps somewhere else, and he, you know, effectively died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. We don't. We. I don't want to know. You know. We'll talk about it with the Superman stuff. How I, I'm interested in the subtleties there. But I don't want to explicitly have John meet up again with the old gang and try to get him out of this latest jam, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, I have no interest in that. Um, so, how do the, you guys feel about that? Well, th- th- there are two things that I want to add to with what you said. First of all, I agree. I think that of all the characters, there's the least ambiguity about Dr. Manhattan. And, uh, and yeah, and that's a good thing for his character. But two things really rang hollow with this for me. The first is, Tell me why they need Mime and Marionette. <laughs> what could possibly be the reason for why they need those two characters? Pure uh, numbers. Yeah. Just more characters. Uh, this, so, John's, okay, so John's... This to me... Analogs. 
Uh, well, to, this, to, there's this ahead, this Zach. may be like totally out of left field. I don't know if this is a thing, but something about these characters, these two characters. I think maybe this less now, now that I know the like Punch and Julie connection, but I got a very Clark and Lois vibe from these characters if they were like Watchmen universe Clark and Lois. I can mm-hmm. see that. Um, but what I was going to say was like, uh, to me, this stinks of The Godfather 3, where Robert <laughs> Duvall didn't want to come back, so they just wrote George Hamilton's character to be a poor man's Robert Duvall. This seems like uh, Dan and Laurie didn't want to come back, and so they they had to like find a, a low budget way to have those characters still exist, and so they just gave these like these you know these new characters that will fill the same roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two things that so that was one of the things that that didn't ring true for me. The other one is 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 very very minor, but I think it's important. I cannot imagine. In this context, Vite using the name John. That, to me, was so false of a character beat. Like, this wasn't a friend of his. He he has no real affinity for Dr. Manhattan. He They were not friends beforehand. They didn't spend a ton of time together. Like, you know, I, I, think, I think sometimes we forget that the Crime Busters met once. You know? It's... There wasn't a ton of interaction between these characters. And so for him to be all like, we got to get my buddy John back. You know, he's behind enemy hmm. lines. It, does, it it makes no sense to me. I guess I didn't necessarily read it as like a particularly, um, you know, friendly usage of the name. In fact, maybe in a way like it rang more true to me than if he called him Dr. Manhattan because... I think he would just call him I, I, just call him him like he, he would just, he, he wouldn't we have yeah, to, they well, that's i feel like you have to be more specific than that or it sounds weird especially like in dialogue like i don't i mean i don't know yeah you might I, end up with him from the powerpuff girls exactly now. right no no, no no look at this i cannot save our world though there is one who even now has the power to dr manhattan dr manhattan no one's seen him in years yes i know this is our mission all of us we need to find john we need to find him works exactly as well, there. I guess. Okay, okay. It just again, it just it just struck me as as this is trying to be like getting the band back together, whereas I don't think there was much of a band to get back together. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. This seems to me to be John's sentimentality. John John's loves, you know. John's loves putting the band back together. I mean, think, yeah. think about you know. That's DC Rebirth. And Green Lantern Rebirth, and the Flash Rebirth, and yeah. uh, even his Justice League to a certain degree. You know, like he, he he loves assembling teams. He also loves, uh, anecdotally, um, having superheroes call one another by their first names rather than their code names. That is true, yeah. I mean, every time he writes Justice League, I feel like, and I say anecdotally because I can't sit down and prove it right now, but... I feel like they're always calling one another Diana, Clark, Bruce when they're in costume. It's not the super friends thing where they're like, Superman, come right. do the, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's just a John's tick that he, it sounds more dram- dramatic or mature to have them calling one another by their first names. And so that's what John's going to do. 
Um, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Again, I I know that's a small critique, but it just felt emblematic of John's trying to, like. Again, I don't understand how this book can be so clearly trying to ape Alan Moore, but also throw in like his favorite little bits. Yeah. I, I just it, it it feels very false to me for that reason. Are we ready for the good Zach, do you have anything to add? Are we ready for the good part? Let's get to the good part. <laughs> so uh the last let's see how many pages. One, two Three, four pages are exclusively a Superman uh, segment. And this, you guys, is... uh, We said it back then. I said it back then when DC Universe Rebirth number one first came out. This is what I wanted. I wanted a DC Universe story, a Superman story, that perhaps suggested that Dr. Manhattan was influencing the proceedings in some way, but that it would not be an explicit Watchmen sequel. And I feel like this last little bit of the book, I hope going forward it's mostly this, because then I'll be able to stomach this a lot better, because this is exactly... Yeah. this is Take this little bit out, these four pages, this is what I envisioned as my perfect example of what doomsday clock would look like right yeah yeah and and before we get into this a little bit more it i i could stomach the watchman stuff a lot more if it was just like a framing sequence you know yes right like if we get a little bit at the beginning a little bit at the end um i would actually kind of like that maybe um (laughs) but yeah, this was really good, and just like going all in on the new Fifty Two, you know? Yeah, because because like this is a this this scene like this particular scene was like featured prominently in Morrison's Action Comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This flashback part, I mean. Um, yep, and and for my money, I don't know about you guys. That's one of my absolute least favorite things about the new Fifty Two. No, they, I like that. I like that run. Oh, do you the, mean that? that no, not that, not the run. Okay, gotcha, the, gotcha. The, 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 the Kents choice. being dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The choice yeah. to take the Kents away from from Jump Street. Apparently. For sure. Yeah, and I feel like this is John's attacking that head on. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Um, so I, I cheered. I cheered at the idea that he's going to look right at that and he's going to say this. This was a major problem. We're going to call it out. Making that part of this was a masterstroke to me. Yeah. Do you think that um, Doomsday Clock is going to end with um, the Kents being resurrected and I standing do. together like uh, Brightest Day style at the end? <laughs> the Kents are White Lanterns. Rise. Um, <laughs> no, so I, I was talking with uh, Multiversity's own Benjamin Birdie about this earlier today and I see, he, he said like he was expressing some of his reservations with Doomsday Clock and I said that there's a way to take what we have in this issue and to make it so much more compelling and that is simply to flip it can you to me starting this issue with the Superman stuff would have made all the difference in the world 
Mm-hmm. If you start it by giving the hint of, oh wow, Superman's having nightmares for the first time, that we're dealing with the death of his parents, and then you get the Watchmen stuff that's going to build up to that in the future, that is a way different reading experience than starting with the with the Watchmen stuff. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Disagree? I agree, but I still want way less Watchmen. I oh, want certainly. 90- I want 90% Superman, 10% Watchmen. And maybe that's what we get next time. Oh, fuck, I hope so. Man, we have to wait a whole month to find out if... Well, this was supposed to be the issue where we read it and we knew if it was good or bad. Now we have to wait <laughs> another month. <laughs> I'll just say it's bad. Okay. <laughs> but I but I understand your, what you're saying, yes. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that uh, Clark is reading Walden 2, by the way. Uh-huh. Do you guys know anything about yeah. Walden 2? Yeah. <laughs> I know nothing about Walden 2. So it's 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 BF Skinner, you know Skinner? Yes, yes. Skinner oh, yeah, I, I, yes, 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 I do know this. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that is that is a funny little bit of of meta text there. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also like <laughs> it's just so like well, we're just going <laughs> to uh well, I don't want to spoil the new film Ladybird uh, for you guys because I know you guys are going to see it but there's a scene where a character is reading a book and that book that they're reading is essentially it's doing all the work in explaining who that character is uh-huh. and when you see it you'll probably scoff you know yeah um, <laughs> this is doing the same thing like Johns is like I'm just gonna lay Walden 2 on the on the coffee table here and that's all you need to know about what, <laughs> what I think is going on here <laughs> Um. So, but uh, to me, the uh, not quite as as celebratory of a moment uh, as dealing with the Clark's death, uh, the, the Kent's death. I do think that is one of the major blights. Of the New Fifty Two is just how how it was so content to take away Superman's past. Uh, but I think that the idea of Superman having a nightmare is something I've never thought about before. And mm-hmm. I've thought a lot about Superman in, in my life, you know. And the fact that Johns could find a new, a new twist to put on that character, I thought was a really, really brilliant bit of writing. And that's a very Johns idea. Oh yeah. I'm fine with it with John. Like that, that's my that's one of my overall points here. Like I am fine if Johns and Frank are going to make this their own. <laughs> To me, this was just too much of them trying to be more in Gibbons, and then when they stopped trying that, it felt jarring to me. I would rather it be just them trying to be who they are the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. So any any last thoughts on this before we wrap up? Um, go, go for it, Zach. Um... I I am still like really um really pretty optimistic for what this series is going to end up being in spite of what we're presented in this first issue. Um part of me just like can't believe that this first issue is indicative of what the greater series is going to be. Um and maybe this next issue will prove me wrong, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say this. 
if you look at the covers that are in the back of the book, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is in the PDF that DC set up. I'm holding a physical copy in my hand here. Every other cover is a DCU character. Right. Yeah. Well, it seems like they're... From what I've noticed, the main cover is usually something um, like nondescript, like an item or something. Um, and then the alternate cover is a DC character, usually. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, shit. What? I think I just realized something. What? Every character on these covers has an analog. So, like, the first cover is a Dr. Manhattan quote, and it's a Superman cover with Dr. Manhattan behind him. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. The next one's Ozymandias. Ozymandias' hand is on Lex Luthor's shoulder. Mm-hmm. The next one is Rorschach, and it's Batman reading Rorschach's journal. The next one is Dr. Malcolm Long, and it's Rorschach from the current... It's the current Rorschach walking away from an explosion. I think that might be Dr. Long, <laughs> now that we're... Now that we're saying it? Well, yeah. that's what this cover is indicating to me. Um, he he went on... He I guess he did CrossFit or yep. something. Um, oh, man. And Actually, then the and then the comedian is, quote is the Joker. Uh, oh man, yeah, this uh, that kind of blew my mind a little. That actually might be. Did you say that you think that's the current Rorschach or the original? Because it almost kind of like looks like the imagery of the original Rorschach walking away from the you know the house with the guy that he. That he chained up, you know. And oh, maybe. I guess I just assumed it was the current one because all of these other covers are things are, that are would be current, happening in the yeah. current Doomsday Clock. Right. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. But I think that your observation's like probably pretty spot on. Yeah. So see, I was wrong. I'm I'm a fool who's bad at guessing yet again. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for listening to this special extra installment of the DC three cast between this and justice league and the regular show being uh two and a half hours this week. You guys are getting a lot of, uh, of us. So thanks for listening. We truly do appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the, uh, DC rebirth titles, but until then you can find all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at Sir Fox 89. And we'll be back uh, next week. And uh, until next time, enjoy that human being. What's another name for Dr. Manhattan's penis? I don't know. The Doomsday Cock. Oh, that's nice.